Hey, good morning and welcome to Hope City Church. How y'all doing? Come on. And you know what? I have, I have, I have a, a whole script here, that I'm man, kind of like a manuscript thing I'm going to read here in a moment. But I just want to take a second, just make an observation that I just noticed. I love the worship department around here. It's not that I just noticed it, but I love the music. Like, how cool is that song? And then I see DJ uh, Jordan back there crushing it, playing the dance hits. Like, I'm up here like, man, it's fun to be in church. I'm up here like, I don't care. Y'all see me? Whatever. Me and LaVanya, we was like, go ahead, John. Like, I love that song. Like, he was blowing the trumpet. I'm like, I don't want to go home. <laughs> like, it's the best day at work ever. So, hey, we're so glad you're here at the South Louisville location of Hope City Church. My name is Joe, Joe Strothman, and um, along with my wife, Karen, we serve as the campus pastors here. And we are doing the exact same thing in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, at our Shepherdsville location. We are two churches, I mean one church with two locations. We do it here, and we also do it in Shepherdsville. So no matter where you find yourself today, maybe even on a podcast or, or through the church app later, we believe that one more matters here at Hope City Church. One more neighbor, one more brother, one more sister, one more uncle, one more coworker, And you guys that are joining us are part of that, of that One More Matters. And we're so grateful that you are a part of what God is doing here at Hope City Church. Can we welcome everybody, yourselves and Shepherdsville? So, so, so glad to be a part of that. Hey, before I get into my message, I want to do one other thing. And we're going to talk about the fact that it is Christmas time here at Hope City Church. Christmas time here at Hope City Church. And we've got some services coming up for the Christmas season. We've got some nice, cool, fancy invite cards. They, you know they're Christmas because they have the North Star and the Nativity on them. That's official Christmas stuff. There's no confusion about what holiday we're having. And it is December 1st, which means it's officially time to get out your Christmas trees, to put the lights on the house. Who's already done that? Anybody yet? I don't trust y'all. Listen, y'all are impatient. I don't... We, we, we'll put our Christmas trees up like December 23rd this year, I think. We're just so busy. But hey, <laughs> let me tell you, we'll get a Christmas box. Like, there you go. So we've got Christmas services coming up on the 19th, the 21st, and the 22nd. Each one of those services is going to be the exact same service. These will be three opportunities for you to invite friends, coworkers, family members, either before you, before you get out of town or right when they get into town to bring them here and see and hear messages about Jesus and, and about Christmas time. So on your, uh, on your way out, there will be these invite cards, and I'd love for you to take them and, and invite people to Hope City Church. Okay, who is a coffee drinker? Anybody, let me hear you, coffee drinkers. You should be screaming because it's already nine o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock. You've probably had five, six pots of coffee by now if you're like me. It's time to drink coffee. So I, I love coffee. I was actually had an opportunity to help be a part of Shiloh's, which is a coffee shop that is part, and it's an extension of the generosity of Hope City Church. It's where we run a coffee shop, and 100% of the profits go to missions and orphanages around the world. If you haven't been out to Shiloh's, they make a great coffee. They make black coffee. They make all kinds of coffee, and I would encourage you to be out there and go check that out. But what I want to ask is, does anybody know how coffee got, their, got its start? Does anybody know the origin story of coffee? Well, Karen and the family and I, we went and visited uh, St. Louis. We went out and saw her sister and my brother-in-law and their family. And actually, we went to a coffee shop, and it's called Caldi. I'm like, Caldi? It's K-A-D-L-I, Caldi. I'm like, oh, look, it's Aldi's with a K. I'm like, I know how to say that. And so it's Caldi's. And I'm like, well, th 
you know, everybody's got their names. Like, why do you call it Shiloh's? That means a, pa- a place of peace in the Bible. Well, what does Kali mean? Kaldi's mean? So I did some research, meaning I pulled my phone out and went Google. And it told me this amazing story. And I'm going to share with you guys. In the 6th century, there was this goat herder, and his name was Kaldi. And Kaldi, while herding goats, noticed this amazing effect that happened to his goats. See, when they would go out, and he was going out, and they were eating out like trees and branches and things and grass or whatever, no big deal. But then he noticed that when they ate these little berries, the story says that they experienced an energized effect. I don't know what an energized goat looks like, but Caldy was like, I want what they're having. I want some of that. So I want some of these goat beans. And so he went and he took some of these beans. And like I said, I'm a coffee lover. And, and I, I have actually had the opportunity to eat raw coffee berries right off the plants. We, I've done it in Puerto Rico. I, I've done it in Guatemala. And let you know that no matter where you have raw coffee beans, they're gross. They're they're thick skin. They have a little bit of pulp on them. Like, so like you can't even like eat it. It it doesn't have a flavor. It's kind of bitter. You think of like a a plum or a or a peach. You're like, wow, you got all that meat. And then there's that pit. Well, this is all pit and skin. It's it's gross. And so I would have done what Caldi did. What did Caldi do? He threw it in a fire. He's like, these are worthless. Because, you know, when you throw something in a fire, you're like, it's pointless. I'm just going to burn it. He get, you think, oh, he gave up on it. Well, you, he smelled the aroma of these beans. And he's like, wow, that's kind of interesting. And so he pulls them out of the fire. And, and then he, he decides to do at the time. And what so many people do around the world is they, they brew things. They, they immerse it in water, tea, you know, coffee. This is, and so he decided to, to try it. And it was through that moment that he brewed the first cup of coffee that he got to experience energized goat juice. He got to experience coffee. It's what we call coffee today. And, and I think Caldi possessed this character trait that maybe some of us and, and probably all of us in the room need to have, need to develop more of. And what is that? That's, that's uh, stick-to-itiveness. That, that's the ability to have endurance that's the resolve to pursue a process until you get the desired results. See, if Caldy would have ate those beans, I'm like, well, these are only for goats. We would not be able to experience a half a trillion cups of coffee annually around the world. Around the world, we drink a half a trillion cups of coffee. Just in raw harvest beans export is a $20 billion industry. That doesn't include the first drop of Starbucks sales. That's just the import-export of the raw product. And so here's why I, I, I told us that story is that, you know, recently, because I love coffee, I was able to have an opportunity to, to visit a coffee plantation when I was in Guatemala. And we're going to talk more about my Guatemala trip later. But while I was on this trip to Guatemala and we were at this coffee plantation, I learned that before you can harvest the first cherry, which is, has the bean inside of it, it's a five-year process. It takes five years of, of growth and an, an investment before you see the first crop that can even be tasted to see if it's worth having. And I think there, there may be people in the room today that have been saved for less than five years or maybe saved for five years, and you think, I gave my life to Jesus. I, I, I gave my heart to Jesus, but yet I'm not... I'm not seeing any return on my investment. I'm not producing any, any fruit. Or, or maybe someone you brought with them 
has committed their life to Jesus, but yet you're like, why aren't they growing? You would think, God, maybe they accepted Christ, they accepted Jesus. There should be more development in their life by now. And, and, and that, can, that can frustrate us. But what I, what I want to let you know now is, is that God wants to grow us. God wants to, to grow us. He wants us to do his part, and then he wants us to play our part in the, in the growing process. And here in a moment, we're going to read in, the ver- in, in John in some verses, and we're going to read about this growth process that Jesus has for us. You see, God has a specific growth strategy for us in our life. I don't know about you, but for me, that sounds like great news, that God has a specific strategy for me to grow. There's a way that he wants me to grow. He lays that out, how we are to grow. But see, there's a problem, is that this growth process, it's painful. There are decisions during this growth process that we are going to have to make, that God is wanting to grow us, but we have a part that we have to play in that. And so that's what today what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how does God grow us and what is our part in that. So we're going to grab our Bibles. Uh, here in South Louisville, there are Bibles under the seats. Uh, in Shepherdsville, they pr- provide Bibles, maybe on the chairs, or they'll have them out there for you. Or if you find yourself listening to this message later, you can follow along on your phone or pull out your own personal Bible. And we'll also have them up here on the screen where you can follow along with me. So we're going to turn to John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to go to 15, 15 and 1. And this is what it says. I am the true vine, and this is Jesus talking. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. So they will produce even more fruit. So he prunes us so that we may produce even more fruit. We're going to read more here in a moment, but I want to stop and talk about how God grows us, uh, you and me, and, and he does this by pruning. And there may be people in the room today that know what pruning is, and there may be people in the room today that don't know what pruning is. And I would like to just go ahead and, and, and pull up the definition of pruning real fast. And pruning, it, what it means is to trim or to cut away dead or overgrown branches, especially to incre- increase fruitfulness and growth. So we're going to trim and cut away dead and overgrown things so that we may grow, and we may grow again. Uh, I'd like to give a a, a practical picture of of what this looks like. You can see here, this is an overgrown tree. It looks like a really angry bush at this point. You don't even realize that there is a uh, trunk. And so once they pruned it, we didn't even notice that, that there was also a beetle right behind this same tree. And then we'll look at the next one, and that is, is that before... We see this here that this looks like a hazard. You know, if I was going to sell this house or whatever, you'd be like, wow, this tree is going to fall on it. I can't even cut the grass because the branches are too low. And they came in and they, they lifted the tree. And you can now see there's more airflow going to get through. Hopefully they got it off the roof. I'm not an arborist. I think you get the point. We good? We're good. All right. <laughs> so the first time that I remember someone explaining the pruning process to me was my, was my grandpa. Was my, was my grandfather. He grew up on Dresden, which is down by Churchill Downs, not, not too far from here. And in the wintertime, we would go over to my grandfather's house and he had this big bay window that overlooked his backyard. And in his backyard, he had a garden. And in the wintertime, you would see what used to be a garden. 
Everything was dead, and there would be rows and rows of dirt where the plants used to be. But then also he had this big, huge arbor, and on that arbor was a, was a purple, grape, uh, purple grape vine. Team purple grapes, anybody? I'm a green grape person, purple grapes. Anyway. So, <laughs> so he would, he, in every winter, what my grandfather would do is he would wrap it in plastic and cheesecloth. And what he was doing is he was protecting that vine from hard, rain, hard freezes and snow, and so he would protect it. And we'd look out the window and be like, there's this dead thing cocooned in the backyard. And it was kind of like, okay, Grandpa, like, that looks really scary. And so when the springtime would come, he would unwrap it. He would begin to build his garden. But then what would happen is he would walk out in this arbor, and he would inspect the vine from the, from the wintertime. You know, and sometimes we would walk out there with him, and you'd see this vine, and it was like almost like this gray color. It was like lifeless, and, and the bark would be all peeled off of it, and you're thinking, it's dead. Like, there's no way this thing is going to produce ever again. It didn't make it. But my grandfather would lovingly go through and, and walk through it, and he had taken care of this, this grapevine for decades, and he knew that as the springtime came, growth would come. And as we would see, we'd visit on Sundays after church, we would see these little sprouts. They call them sucker, sucker vines. And what these sucker vines are, these are the first sprouts of new growth. And my grandfather would lovingly go through and pick them off. He'd pick them off. And to me, I'm thinking, wow, this is the only evidence of growth that's going on, on this vine. It looked dead, and you're pulling off the only things that are growing. And see, my grandfather knew what I didn't know, is that these sucker vines that were growing were never going to bear fruit. What they were doing was draining the resources of the vine. And he knew better because he had an experience and had been with this vine for decades, and he knew better than the own plant what it needed. And it was to remove the growth so that it could grow stronger in the established areas, the established parts that were connected to the arbor. To me, it looked like he was hurting the vine, removing the only things of life. And I didn't understand what he was doing. And the, the pruning process is made for us to make stronger. See, there will be things that in our lives, they look good. They may even feel good. There may be areas in your life right now that you think this is the only thing good that's going for me but it needs to be pruned back because that will never produce fruit in your life. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to pull out those things in our life that won't be fruitful. See, the ideal of gardening or agriculture is that when things have died or things have overgrown, they hinder the plant. And so somebody who knows how to care for the plant has to come in and, and they, have to, they have to prune it. They have to cut back dead things. They have to cut back overgrown things in the plant. And, and so as we think about our lives, we think about things that are lives that, that could be dead. Maybe right now there's a relationship in your life that, that isn't producing like it used to. It's a, it's a dead relationship. Maybe there is a habit in your life that has just gotten out of control. It grew bigger than you ever thought it would be, and it's holding you back. Maybe there are plans that you had in your life that you thought, man, one day this is going to be awesome. And it's just never taken off, but you won't let go of it. And it's, but yet, it's quit producing fruit. And that's where the pruning has to start. And that's what we have. We have two choices. We have to, we have to decide if we're going to cut out when the pruning happens or if we're going to allow God to cut on us. We're going to stay and allow him to do the trimming that needs to happen. And so God, it, God may be working on us right now in our, in our, in our finances. Maybe right now you decided after hearing the Dollars and Cents uh, series of messages that you decided that you want to attend FPU. 
You're like, I'm going to get my finances in order. I want to go from something that occasionally gives to, to start tithing. And then you feel this tension. It's that moment of like, I want to do something new or I'm going to continue to do what I used to, what I've always done. And you've got to allow God that opportunity to trim out what used to be happening so that something new may happen. Maybe you've been a, a serial dater for the last 10 years. You go from relationship to relationship. Some of them last months and some of them last a couple good years. But then you've made this commitment, God, I want to follow after you. God, I've committed my life to you, and I'm ready to pursue an all-in relationship with you. And then the new boyfriend shows up. He's cuter than the last one. You're like, yeah, God, your will be done. But you've made this commitment. You've made this commitment to God, and you've decided that, like, I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And right now, I can't date. Because your relationship with Jesus, your relationships and your dating is going to look different. But you've got to make that decision. Do I remain in my commitment to grow in myself? Or do I continue just to, be, to date and be distracted? And that's, and, and that's where it is. God's asking you to prioritize relationships, prioritize habits, prioritize your time over everything else. And you've got to decide, do I remain or do I run? When we feel tempted to quit, we need to remember why, why we started and, and in a growing relationship with Jesus, different seasons of pruning are going to look differently. Say you've just committed your life to Jesus. You would look like maybe like a three-month-old three vine. Or maybe you've been following him for a little while, and you would look like a three-year-old vine. Or maybe you've been following him all your whole life, and you look like your relationship's 30 years old. Well, the pruning that God needs to do in your life is going to look different at each one of those stages. If you think, if we, if we just have an intense moment and he prunes everything out and I never have to talk to God about my relationships ever again, that they don't need adjustment, that they don't need inspection, that they don't need pruning, that's not what God's saying. He's saying every year along the way, as seasons come and seasons go, there's going to be grooming. There's going to be pruning that's necessary. Necessary at three years, at three months, at 30 years. And, and, and we have some things in our lives that, that maybe are overgrown. Maybe imagine habits that have grown too much. You didn't realize that your career would take off. You're like, I'm, a, I'm an aspirational person, and I want to just go after this career. And you don't even see your family anymore. It's not a bad thing, but you feel this tension of like, I'm so career-focused, but there may be other things that that's costing you that you need to evaluate you, 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 you went and someone hurt you. Maybe it was a church hurt or maybe it was a neighbor that said something awful about the way you keep your yard and you didn't address it. And four years later, this little insult has turned into anger and bitterness and, and sometimes even, even hate. You know, maybe when you were a little kid, your, your, your parents left you. And, and what happened when you were five or six years old is now affecting the way you act as a 30-year-old. We've, we've got to let dead things go. We've got to let over things go. If I was a plant right now, a gardener would come in and would say to me, so that you will produce much fruit, so that you will be healthy, I, I've, I've got to cut you back. I've got to take the dead thing out. I've got to take the overgrown thing out. And that's what God is saying to us right now. He's examining us, what is dead, what is overgrown, and begins to prune us. And what is our part in that? 
Well, we're going to go back to the Bible, and we're going to see what our, what our part in this process of pruning, in this process of growth, what God is asking us, us to do. And so if you would go to me to John 15, 3 through 11, we're going to continue reading in the Bible and see our part, our part in this pruning process, in this growth process. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. Let's stop right there. God has already worked on you. He's purified you. He's removed the dead things. He's removed the overgrown things. He's removed those things that are hindering your growth. Thank you for that, God. It hurt. I didn't want to do it at times. I, I didn't understand what you were doing. But you pruned me, and you've removed the things that were, that were slowing my growth. Let's keep reading. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and it cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Such a great truth right there. When you sever something, and you say, nuh-uh, not no more. I'm not picking it back up. I've cut you off. I've decided I, I don't want it no more. You know what it's not going to do? It's not going to grow in your life no more. God let, God's told me to drop that. He told me to lay that down. You know what the enemy likes to do? Hey, pick your branch back up. Or they see that branch laying there, and they'll say, hey, remember what you used to be? Not no more. It's dead. It ain't attached to me no more. My past, that mistake, that hurt, that relationship, you weren't here, but God, God pruned me off of that. Don't remind me of what's dead on the ground. I'm growing right? So anybody that does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers, and such branches are gathered into a pile and burnt. Hey, God, thanks for taking that. Burn that. I don't want it. I don't want to pick that habit up no more. I don't want to be like Caldy. Leave it in the, leave it in the fire. Like, let it burn away, right? But if you remain in me and remain in my words, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are true, my true disciples, this brings me great glory to my Father. Let's keep reading. We're almost done here. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remember when I said it was going to hurt? It was painful. He does it in love. Right now, when you, when you feel like God's tugging on you, and you feel that pruning, and you feel fear, you feel worry, you feel, con you feel condemnation, that's not of God. That's not of God. God is doing these things to us out of love. And you may be scared or you may not, you may not understand what's going on. It's because it's new. It's different. But he's doing these things out of love. So remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obeyed my father's commands and remained in his love. And here's the last part. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And that's what, that's what happens. When, when we remain, see, 11 times, I'm sorry, 10 times in those 11 verses, what's God telling us? If we would remain. When the scissors come out, when the pruning shears come out, when seasons of pruning come out, that we would stick around and be pruned. If we would stick through the process, if we would remain. And so the growing process so God's process for growing us is pruning, cutting back, coming into our lives, trimming and cutting back. And it is our responsibility to remain. 
when God begins to deal with us, to challenge us, convict us. He's wanting to remove the dead things and cut back things that have grown bigger than we ever intended. It's going to take everything inside of us to remain because we're going to run. We're going to want to run, but we've got to make the decision to stick. I see it. I see it all the time. People come through the doors. Yes, I want to commit my life to Jesus. You know, they join a parking lot team or they join a serve team and then, hey, uh, we're offering triple time at work. Man, it's good money, Pastor Joe. I, I, I got a couple bills. I, I know I was committed, but this is going on. Or, hey, Pastor Joe, I know I read these couple books and talked about dating, but man, she's really into me and she goes to church. But you made a commitment. You made a promise to, to see things through. And, and that's where we've got to remain focused. Remember why we started the process that we're on. So it, when everything wants to run, you have to remain. You have to allow God to cut back. If you allow God to convict, if you allow God to let you become uncomfortable, if you allow the, the, the preaching staff here at church to, to say things and make you mad, if you're willing to allow a friend to bring it up, that, that thing in, that they know about and that you would stick close and let them walk you through that, if you would allow to be vulnerable within a growth group, if you're willing in your prayer time for the Holy Spirit to convict you, instead of running, if you will remain, three things that I found are going to happen. Three things are going to happen. If you stick it out through the pain, through the process, through all of the, through all of the tough decisions, if you remain, I found these three things that we, we read here in John that are going to happen and I want to walk through those with you. So if you grab your sermon guides, these are just, these are, and, and, and as we read this, these are just three things that are going to happen. And let me tell you, before we read this, before we go through this, most people, they don't remain. They don't remain. And, and see, there's a story that Jesus tells in, in, in Matthew 18 that three out of four people will not remain. It's a parable of the sower. It talks about the different types of soil and that only one type of soil is a good soil. And so what we want to do now is we want to talk about if we would hold on, if we would remain through the pruning process, what we're going to see. And so write these in. The first thing that's going to happen, the first thing, three things, and the first thing that's going to happen when we remain is that you will begin to produce fruit. You will begin to produce much fruit. In verse 5 it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Now let me stop right here and tell you what I mean by fruitfulness. Fruitfulness doesn't mean that it's more productivity. Fruitfulness doesn't mean that God's going to, uh, it's more signed contracts. It's more yeses on the telephone. The fruitfulness that I'm talking about isn't how you do more. The fruitfulness is what I'm talking about is how you get to become more. What God is doing in you. You see, the fruitfulness that I'm talking about is love, patience, peace, self-control and kindness. These are the things that will be, will be produced out of you through the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I, I need more of that. I want, I want more of that. Staying connected to Jesus will allow these things to develop us. See, fruitfulness is a natural process. You think about business and in the, in, in the industry, they'll turn up the speed on the assembly line 
We got a quota. Come on, guys. We got to pump out. We got to get this done. You know, you, you, you signed a contract and they're trying to close on the house or whatever. Hey, man, we need to clean up faster because we got a closing date coming. You know, hey, Black Friday's coming. We need to get to the store first because we'll, we need to get the things that we want. You cannot rush fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is an organic process. I think about when my grandfather was pruning the, the sucklings, the saplings and the, and the suckers off of that vine. Those grapes weren't going to come any faster. We had to wait. And so pr- pr- producing is an organic process. It takes time. Producing fruit is all about working through seasons of growth, seasons of evaluations, and seasons of pruning. So as you allow God to prune you and you stay connected to Jesus, you're going to continue to be fruitful. You know, I've been following Jesus for, I don't know, 15 years or so now. And I just think about how I didn't have my first child in, in, until I was like 28, 29, and think about the fact that I'd have been a horrible dad at 20 years old. And it's not because I've grown up and I've gotten wiser. God has made me more patient. God has given me more love. God has made me more kind. It's not that I'm a great, it's not that I'm a great dad and I have awesome kids. It's that the Holy Spirit's working on me that more patience will come out of me so that I get to be a good dad. Because back then, I was so green and so raw and so overgrown and so misguided that if I'd had kids, we'd have wild fruit. We'd have wild berries. We'd have wild berries. But now, because my kids are attached to me and I'm attached to Jesus, I'm, I pray all the time, God, let them grow up to be like you, not like me. And so I need to look, like, I need to look more like him so they'll look more like him. And so the first thing that you'll do is, is that you will, you will experience much fruit. The second thing that you will experience is answered prayers. The Bible says it right here. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And the thing, the big point I take away here is that remain in me and my words remain in you. I think about people that have been following Jesus for a long time. Like my father-in-law, he was a pastor forever and he was a church leader forever. And now he travels all through North and South America, teaching conferences, teaching pastors, teaching how to grow a church, teaching how to govern churches. And when we sit down after dinner, we don't talk about business. We don't talk about his traveling. We do talk about where he went. But you know what he talks about? The amazing things that God is doing through people's lives. Talking about people being healed. Talking about seeing churches grow. Talking about people developing in churches. And that's what I love I love to hear these stories of my father-in-law and how he's experienced years and years and years of God's faithfulness in his life. And what, and what that does for me is that gives me encouragement to know that if God can do it for Hector, he can do it for me. And that as I stay in a relationship with God, that my, my heart is going to change. And it says this, and it says in Psalms 37, 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. It's not that God's going to give me what's in my heart. God's going to put in my heart what he wants for me. And then when I pray for those things, I'll see those happen. You know, my father-in-law would tell, would tell us stories. He's like, Joe, the other day my laptop broke. I'd been fasting, and I came downstairs. I, I got some oil, and I put my hands on it. I said, God, fix this laptop. And you know what? He told me like a couple hours later, he's like, it started working. You know, you guys have the geek squad. My father-in-law has the Holy Spirit. And he was just like, it worked. You know, we were, we were, when we were visiting St. Louis, he came up behind me and he put his hands on me. And he said, power, clarity. God, give him strength and wisdom to preach. And I was just like so empowered. I said, that's one thing I see about my father-in-law. He's always praying. God bless these kids. 
God bless my grandchildren. God bless my family. God bless my car. Because he believes. He believes that God hears these prayers. And I'm going to encourage you. Pray for specific things in your life. If you're single and you want a husband, um, six two. I mean, I'm not picky. 80 grand a year, Lord, if it be your will. And you pray. You know why? Because when, when, when you see his faithfulness and those things come to pass, you know what you get to say? Won't he do it? God did that in my life. Not man, not me, not my power, but God did that for me. God, take this addiction away from me. It wasn't those 12 steps. It wasn't that Tuesday night meeting. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that did that for me. And those kind of answered prayers don't happen in a week. They don't happen in 30 days. They happen over a lifetime of a commitment. So the first thing that we see is fruitfulness. The second thing that we see is answered prayers. And here's the third thing that we'll see if we would remain through this process is that we will be filled with joy, that we will be filled with joy. In verse 10, it says, when you obey my commands, when you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's command and remain in his love, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will be overflowed. And of these, I think this is the most challenging thing to experience. And because we're going to have to lay some stuff down. We're going to have to decide that what God has for us is going to bring us more joy than what we already have. God's going to say, hey, that job where you're working all those hours that affords you this vacation home or that boat or whatever, I'm going to need you to cut back hours because you need to be, spend more time with your family. I need you to cut more, back more hours because I need you to spend quiet time with me. God's going to look at your finances. It looks like you love Disney Plus and Netflix, but you're not a faithful giver. Maybe you need to reevaluate your priority. Is it Walt Disney or is it the kingdom of God? You know, he's going to look at these different areas of your life, and you're going to have to make that decision that what God wants to prune out of your life, what he has left, what he's going to bring you is going to bring you much joy. And so we have to have this challenge of staying and remaining and realizing that what God has for me is better than what I have for myself. What God has for me is going to bring more joy than what I can, what I can give myself. So I, I tease it at the front. I'm going to talk about my trip to Guatemala for a second as we close. And, you know, we went down and we got to visit with some friends. And we had an opportunity to, to build a house for a family. You talk about faithfulness. When we saw an 84-year-old grandmother, she was about this tall, that told me and the six other guys that were in that room that she had been praying for seven years for her daughter to get a house. She never knew how her single mom with four kids mom was going to be able to afford her own house. But then God sent these men from America to build a house for her. That's an answered prayer that only a faithful relationship with God will be answered. That you would be able to say, oh, well, it's just a nonprofit and they picked us. No, that's God working in my life. And and so we were there, and, and we, got to, we had some free time, and we were able to, to go to a coffee plantation. I don't know why we went to the coffee plantation. Oh, I, I was like, we're going. And so we went, and it was this plantation from 1870, 1,800 acres, set between five, uh, four volcanoes. It was amazing. Beautiful green, lush land everywhere. And we had a tour guide, and his name was Falestino, and, and Falestino took us from being to brewing. He took us from the first plant all the way to, and he made us a cup of coffee. It was amazing. 
Well, when we started, we were in the nursery, and we saw hundreds and hundreds of plants that represented the next two, three decades of their farm. And in there, we saw plants that were like a couple weeks old to plants that were two years old. They were in these little black bags. They weren't even in the ground. They were on the ground because they were still developing. They were still developing. And see, there's two types of coffee plants. There's the Arabica bean and there's the Robusto bean. The Arabica bean tastes amazing. Most coffee that we consume is from the Arabica plant. But see, it has weak roots. It's susceptible to disease. It's susceptible to, to harsh weather. It's not very strong. But then there's the Robusto plant. It has amazing roots. It's very hardy. It grows really well. But you know what? It produces nasty, bitter beans. No one likes them. Very few coffee that you'll drink will ever be of Robusto beans. And so he explained this process to it. They call it grafting. And I think this might be where some of us are in the room right now is, is what happened is they have a firm foundation in this one plant, and they have this great-tasting plant that doesn't have a strong foundation. It has all this potential, but it's probably not going to make it. And they slice them in half. They cut them off at the stem of each, and they take the good-producing fruit, and they attach it to the firm foundation of the other plant. And then they wrap it with paraffin wax, and they, they examine each plant. And they look at it and say, oh, this one needs to be wrapped three times. This one needs to be wrapped five times. And the wrapping, what it does is it holds it on there. And each process of the wrapping, it depends on how strong the plant is. Do I need to hold on for three months? Do I need to hold on to five months before when it finally takes root? And what they're doing is they're preparing these plants. They're making this hybrid, the best fruit with the strongest roots. And that's what pruning for us does, is that God will bring us to him and and then we've got all this growth and all this potential, and he's got this firm foundation. And he wants to graft us into his base and have us grow so that we'll produce the best fruit. And so you go on to year three, year four, and year five. They plant these plants, and then they wait. They don't harvest the beans for five years. The plant's not ready. The beans won't taste good. But what are they doing for five years? They don't just leave them. They're constantly pruning, training, examining constantly pruning, pruning, and pruning. They just look at the fruits, and it's not ready yet, so they don't even use it. And then at it, 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 year five, they take a sample, and then they, in year five, they finally get to see, is this worth keep going? Is this going to produce fruit in my life? Is this the fruit I'm looking at? And then year six and seven is the best, most fruitful crops that they have. And then at year eight, you know what they do? They look at each plant, and they cut it back down to two little stalks. And when they cut it back, it's because as the plant has grown over the first seven years of its life, the photosynthesis process has began to slow down. The fruitfulness of the plant has begun to slow down. Even though it's producing fruit, it's not living up to its best potential. And so they have learned that if they would take year eight and cut it all the way down, that at the end of its life, It'll be more fruitful. And that's why I think we're at. No matter where you are in your relationship with God, you've got to understand, is this a season where he's grafting me to him? Where I need to hold tight so that I can grow? Or maybe I'm in a year three, four, or five, and I'm checking on my fruitfulness, and it's just a season of pruning and pruning. Or maybe you've been a seasoned Christian for so long that your life, it, you think it's fruitful, but God's like, I'm ready to do something new in you. 
if you would allow me to take what you've seen over the last eight, ten years of your life and strip it back, I'm ready to do something new in your life. I'm ready to do something so much more, to give you so much more joy if you would allow me to continue to prune you. And so as I close, I just think that maybe it's time to start. It's time to start that process for you. Maybe it's confessing to a friend a habit. Maybe it is signing up for FPU. Maybe it is going and, and, and to a counselor and working through your bitterness and your hurt. Or maybe it's going and asking for forgiveness. But instead of running, you've made that decision to allow God to come in and, and start the pruning process. And when it begins to hurt, you still remain. You make that decision to stay. Because when we allow this process, when we allow to stick to it, we're going to have more fruitfulness. We're going to have more answered prayers. And God's going to bring us greater joy. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for everyone, every person in this room, God. God, but most importantly, I thank you for the relationship with Jesus. God, that it is with him that we are able to stay connected to the life-giving vine that is him. God, that even though when you prune us, God, it may hurt and everything inside of us wants to run, wants to give up. God, that you have got a plan. You've got a strategy. You've got a purpose to grow us. And God, I pray right now for every person in this room, be it that they need to take the first step and connect themselves to the vine, connect and commit a life to Jesus, or maybe it's to give up and let God start to prune to evaluate, to remove overgrown things or to prune things that are dead, that, God, that they would stick through that process and allow you to begin to work in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.